The first reading is from Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 8, and that's on page 1184 of the Pew Bibles. So that's Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 8. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old selves with, it, with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. And the second reading is from Matthew, uh, chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, and is on page 990. So that's Matthew 22, uh, starting at verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, ill-treated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Thank you, Kay. Shall I pray for us before we start? Father God, thank you for your word. Um, please soften our hearts to it tonight um, and please help us to apply it to ourselves. Amen. The date is January 2011. 
you're sat at home having brunch one Saturday morning after first posting a picture of it on the St. Michael's WhatsApp group. You hear a clunk at the letterbox. You get up in your slippers to see what it is, and lying there on the doormat is a large envelope with a rural crest in the corner. You open it up to see inside. In beautiful gold lettering, you read, The Lord Chamberlain is commanded by the Queen to invite Nick Mullins, or John Cameron, to the marriage of His Royal Highness Prince William of Wales, KG, with Miss Catherine Middleton at Westminster Abbey on Friday the 29th of April, 2011, at 11am. Dress code, morning coat, or lounge suit. You can't believe it. You have been invited to the most exclusive party, the biggest event of the year. Another piece of card falls out, which goes through the running order for the day. After a service at Westminster Abbey with the Archbishop running things, you're invited to a lunchtime reception hosted by the Queen at Buckingham Palace, followed by a private dinner hosted by the Prince of Wales. With carriages at 3 a.m., there's plenty of time to enjoy the dancing to Ellie Goulding's private performance and the small fireworks display on the grounds. It is a truly incredible invitation, once in a lifetime perhaps. You've been invited to the royal wedding. In the bottom left hand of the corner of the invitation is an RSVP. A reply is requested to State Invitations Secretary, Lord Chamberlain's Office, Buckingham Palace, SW1A1AA. How will you respond? Surely this takes priority over a lot of other invites. It certainly trumps the plans you had to go home and use the long weekend to see mum and dad. And it beats working on Friday. How will you RSVP? In the parable we're looking at this evening, Jesus extends to us the most incredible invitation. Far, far better than the royal wedding invite. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, how are we going to RSVP? Now we need to remember, Jesus didn't tell us this parable directly to us. He told it in a specific place, at a specific time, to a specific people. If you flick over and look at chapter 21, verse 23, he's just done the triumphal entry, left again for the night, and come back into Jerusalem via a fig tree. Then verse 23, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. So we see he's in the temple courts. He couldn't have picked a more public place, could he? And he couldn't have picked a more Jewish place, a place where he'll be heard by more Pharisees and chief priests. Then Jesus tells the parable of the tenants that we heard last week. And we saw he calls the chief priests and Pharisees murderers. He's comparing them to the evil tenants who misuse God's vineyard and don't produce fruit. He predicts them murdering him, and he predicts God's judgment on them. As Tim so helpfully pointed out last week, it's meant to be obvious who Jesus is talking about. And in fact, we see that the Pharisees do know. Look at verse 45 of chapter 21. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. So with them, the chief priests and Pharisees, very firmly in Jesus' crosshairs, he carries on and tells another parable. It's another slamming condemnation of the Jewish nation and their leaders. So let's have a little look together at the invitation that Jesus extends and how it adds to the previous parable. So on your service sheet, you've got um, my, my structure set out. And I want us to notice three things about the invitation, first of all. Firstly, it's an incredible invitation. Secondly, it's an open invitation. And thirdly, it's a make or break invitation. So that's incredible invitation, open invitation, make or break invitation. 
So firstly, incredible. Look, look down at verse 2, if you will. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Jesus helpfully tells us exactly what this parable is referring to, the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by that? Well, it's pretty simple. It means living in relationship with God. For us, that means living life as one of God's children and knowing that we have a secure hope in heaven. And for the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people, it meant if they were obedient to God's commands, they could live under God's blessing. It really was the best thing that we could ever hope for, is the best thing we can ever hope for, to be in relationship with God in his kingdom. In this parable, Jesus compares it to a king who had prepared a wedding feast for his son. The guests are invited to come to the party and enjoy a meal and conversation with the king. They are invited to come to his house and enjoy relationship with him. Isn't that great news? The kingdom of heaven isn't a do-gooders club. It's a party. And we see in verse 4 that it's going to be a good party. The king has spared no expense. Verse 4, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. He slaughtered the best animals. Dinner's ready. Come and enjoy. Being invited to the feast meant you were invited to the kingdom of God. So we see that it's an incredible invitation. Secondly, it's an open invitation. Have a little look at verse 3. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Notice how it doesn't start off as an open invitation. There is initially a guest list. Only the invitees would be welcomed. But remarkably, they refuse. The king's patient with them and sends them another invite, verse 4, but again, they refuse. Now, if we remember that Jesus is telling this in the temple courts in the middle of Jerusalem, it gives it a lot of meaning to what we're reading. The Jewish nation, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, have been invited twice to come and enjoy the party, and twice they refuse. Twice they're invited to come and enjoy a relationship with God in his kingdom, and twice they refuse. So then we see the offer opening up. Have a little look down at verse 8. But then he said to the servants, the wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. The banquet is ready. The kingdom of God is ready. But all the guests have refused to come. The Jewish nation rejected the invite. So what does the king do? What does God do? He opens up the invite to everybody else. Look at how inclusive the invite is now. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. God is opening up the invite to everyone now. He is opening up the offer to the Gentiles, which just means non-Jews. That means that the offer is now open to us. It's open to everyone, black or white, rich or poor, young or old, gay or straight, the charity worker or the prisoner. The invite is open to everybody. The king is inviting you to join his party. The king is inviting you to be in relationship with him. So we've seen it's an incredible invitation. We've seen that it's an open invitation. Now let's see that it's a make-or-break invitation. In some ways, I think the bronze medal matches at the Olympics have been one of the highlights. In sports like boxing or football, the third-place playoff is almost more exciting than the gold medal match. That's because if you lose the gold medal match, you still get silver. But if you lose the third-place playoff, you only get fourth. There's no medal. There's no glory. There's no nothing. It's a bit more make or break. There's no consolation interviews or interviews where, well, I'm still happy with the silver. It's pretty black and white. 
And that's what Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like. It's make or break. You're either in or you're out. Look at verse 10. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. You're either in the party and having a great time, or you're out of, like, outside the party, where, verse 13, you're in the darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is saying in this parable, it is either heaven or it's hell. You can either be in the party or out, but there's no in-between. So we've seen it's an incredible, an open, and a make-or-break invitation. And we know the question is, how are you going to RSVP? So now let's have a look at the three RSVPs we can see in the parable. And let's try and see how the responses can be the same as ours. So the first response, the original guests refuse. The original guests refuse. Have a look again at verse 3. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. We've already seen how he sent the Jewish nation an invite twice. Verse 3 sends the servants to invite them. They decline. Graciously, he sends the servants again, verse 4. Maybe they just haven't understood how incredible the invitation was. I've killed my best animals, come and enjoy. But again, shockingly, they refuse. If you think about it, it just doesn't make logical sense. Why would they decline the invite? What possible reason could they have? Think back to your invite to the royal wedding. Even if you're not a royalist, there's at least great food on offer. There's a chance to mix it with some celebs. There's going to be great entertainment. And even just for the Instagram post outside Buck Palace, surely it is worth going. It would almost be unthinkable to decline. But that's what Jesus said the Jewish nation did. And we're given two reasons why they decline in the passage. The first reason is apathy. They just don't care. Have a little look at verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field and another to his business. It's clear that they've just got better stuff going on. And it's not worth them going to the party. We can be like this if we're not Christians here today. Maybe we're grateful for the invite, but we've got other stuff we need to do. But Jesus is saying that we've missed the point. We haven't seen how incredible the invite is. And we haven't seen how make or break the invite is. Look where the people who politely decline end up at at the end of the parable. They're outside the party. They're in the darkness with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Refusing the invite, however politely, means not being in relationship with God. And that is a very scary place to be. So that's one reaction, apathy. Look at the other one, animosity. Animosity. The rest seized his servants, mistreated, and killed them, verse 6. So we see these people react angrily to the invitation. They are so full of hatred for the king that they take his servants, ill-treat them, and kill them. It just doesn't make sense. All the king has done is offer them a great invite, and yet they hate the king. Imagine getting the invitation from Lord Chamberlain. 
for the royal wedding. And instead of accepting or politely declining, you go and kill him. It's ridiculous. It's meant to be ridiculous. It doesn't make sense, yet it is what happened. The Jewish nation killed many of God's messengers. Ultimately, they killed Jesus. And it's what we can be like too. For some of us here tonight, hearing about this offer of an incredible invite might make us angry. We might not be sure why. Perhaps it's because there's only two options. Accept and join the kingdom of heaven. Or decline and be left outside in the darkness. Whatever it is, it makes us furious. We hate it. Let me say that Jesus knew that was a totally normal reaction. And that's why it's included in the parable. But whilst Jesus knows it's a normal reaction, he also knows it's a dangerous reaction. Have a look at verse 7. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. That's the judgment on Israel, the Jewish nation. It's the judgment on us if we refuse the invite. God is rightly angry with us if we refuse his invite. And Jesus plainly tells us what happens if we refuse. We will be destroyed. So that's the RSVP of the original invites. And that's the result of their RSVP. But don't worry if we've RSVP'd like that in the past. Because thankfully the story carries on. It doesn't finish there. So let's look at the second one. Everyone else accepts. Second RSVP. Everyone else accepts. Reading from verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. We see that the wedding banquet is still ready. As we heard in the vineyard last week in the parable of the tenants, God doesn't just give up. Instead, he gives the vineyard to others. This week, again, he doesn't give up. Instead, he opens up the invite to everyone. Just notice how selective he is. Verse 9, go to the street corner and invite anyone you can find. Again, verse 10, gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. It's an open invite. He doesn't have criteria for the new guests. They've not done anything to deserve the invite. They are literally just picked off the street. And we see them enjoying the party at the end of verse 10. So if the original invitees didn't deserve the party, verse 8, what has this new lot done to deserve it? The answer is simply accepting the invite. They didn't have to be good people. They weren't working hard seeking God, seeking the king to try and get an invite. All they did was get their glad rags on and go to the party. And it's the exact same with us. If you're sat here tonight thinking, great, I'm in the party, I've accepted the invite, then great, that is the best place to be. But we are meant to notice from this how we did absolutely nothing to deserve the invite. It's completely unearned, and that actually makes the invite so much better. You see, there was a time when I, and everyone else who would call themselves a Christian, was outside the party, Naturally, we were at odds with God. We hated him, and we would have refused the invite. And that left us outside of the party. That left us where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. But you see, God went to great lengths to come and get us. He sent us his son, Jesus. In Jesus, God himself came down to earth to come and get us. More than that, in Jesus, God himself came to earth and died for us. More than that, in Jesus, God himself came to earth and died for us while we still hated him. 
And do you see that fact makes the invitation so much better? I want you to imagine a hardcore anti-royalist protester standing outside Westminster Abbey with their placard, shouting and singing, protesting against the royal family. As the royal carriage rolls past on wedding day, it stops and the queen hops out. She walks over to the barrier towards the protester with all the security guards having heart attacks and starts chatting to the protester. Next, you see the protester jump over the barrier and walk with the queen back towards the carriage. The queen has invited them to join the wedding feast. They will get to enjoy all the benefits of being friends with the queen, the food, the entertainment, the grand surroundings. But that morning, the protester had hated the queen, a waste of the taxpayer's pound. That afternoon, however, having done nothing to earn it, they're there getting to enjoy all the benefits of knowing the queen. It's amazing grace. It's completely undeserved, completely from the queen's initiative, not the protester's. And that's the situation we find ourselves in, I find myself in. Whilst we were opposed to Jesus, he came to us and gave us ridiculously gracious offer that we 100% did not deserve. And just quickly, notice the benefits the people in the parable can enjoy. Verse 4, we already know the food's going to be good. Verse 10, we see the wedding hall's full of guests. So it's going to be a good party. And verse 11, we see the king is in the party with the guests. Everything you could possibly want from a party. And yet it's still only a small picture of the truth. The kingdom of heaven is going to be so, so much better. So that's the second RSVP. We accept the invite. We get completely undeserved grace. But as my old vicar used to say every single Sunday, grace is free, but it's not cheap. So we need to look at the third RSVP. Accepting the invite, but not on God's terms. Accepting the invite, but not on God's terms. Please carry on reading from verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited but few are chosen. At the bottom of the invitation from Lord Chamberlain, it says dress code, morning coat, or lounge suit. Imagine turning up in a jeans and t-shirt. It just, it just wouldn't be on, would it? What would that say about the way you felt about the invite? It would tell them that you didn't really value the invitation at all. You don't mind coming along for a free meal. You don't mind dancing to Ellie Goulding. But you actually can't be bothered to get dressed up. You can't be bothered to obey their only stipulation. You don't really value the invite. Before we look closer, there is something that Jesus simply cannot mean by the ending of this parable. It just can't be that the man couldn't afford wedding clothes, which was how I initially read it. It can't be that the wedding clothes were impossible for him to obtain. It just doesn't fit with the open invitation, and it doesn't fit with the rest of the Bible. So what does Jesus mean then? Why does the man get kicked out? Well, it comes back to grace is free, but it's not cheap. I think the only way we can read this bit is that the man wanted to accept the invite, but he didn't want to accept the invite on God's terms. He didn't mind coming to the party. He didn't mind eating the fattened cattle. But he didn't fancy getting his wedding clothes on. He either refused or he couldn't be bothered. So what does that mean for us? What are these wedding clothes that God thinks are so important? Turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3. 
which we had read so well. Page 1184. And it's a chapter that talks about putting off and putting on clothes of godliness. Have a look at verse 9. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old selves with its practices. What's Paul saying the Colossian church have done, past tense? They've taken off their old selves and their practices. He's using the language of clothing here to talk about their old behaviors. What are they taking off? Well, it's that list there in verse 8. You can read it yourselves. And then look back at, then look at verse 10 and have put on the new self. To use the language of Matthew passage, putting on the wedding clothes, having accepted the invite. Having become a Christian, this is how you now must live. Then we read, as we read through, we see verse 11, there's a reminder of the openness of the invite uh, to everyone. And then verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves with dot, dot, dot. And there's a list of what the wedding clothes look like. This is what Jesus means in the parable when he's talking about wedding clothes. He's talking about living as a person who received an invite that you didn't deserve. He's talking about the transformation in your behavior that happens as you become a Christian. And as you, verse 10, are renewed in knowledge into the image, in the image of your creator. When you receive and accept the invite, you start to become more and more like the king. You start to become more and more like God. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. We're invited completely regardless of our own merit. But once we are invited, we start being transformed. And that's not always easy. In fact, it can be costly. So back in our parable, if we flick back, and we reread that this man didn't have wedding clothes on. And we start to understand what Jesus means. He wanted to be at the party, but he didn't want to take off his old clothes. And he didn't want to put on the new ones. The Mullins have just got a puppy, a little black lab called Digby. If you want to go see the puppy, if you want to go play with the puppy, if you want to give the puppy the biggest squeeze ever, you have to go around to the Mullins' house. And that sadly means that you have to see Tim. You have to go through the arduous process of talking to Tim and being in his company. To enjoy the puppy, you also have to do some hard work that you don't want to do. And it's not easy putting the wedding clothes on. It's not something that we naturally want to do. The man in the parable was trying to enjoy the benefits of the puppy without having to talk to Tim. He wanted to be at the party, but he didn't want to take his old clothes off. And he didn't want to put the new ones on. The real question is, what do we love more? Do we love our old clothes or do we love the new ones? Do I love being able to lust after girls in summer dresses guilt-free? Or do I love Jesus' wedding clothes more? Do I love my career and my status at the company? Or do I love Jesus' wedding clothes more? Do I love my money and the fun I can have with it? Or do I love Jesus' wedding clothes more? We need to ask ourselves what we love more very seriously. I need to ask this question very seriously of myself. Because as we'll see in a minute, the consequences are huge. Have a think about these questions. Have I taken off my old self with the way I used to live? Are there things from my old life that I continue to do? Am I gradually being transformed more into the likeness of Christ? 
Are there any items of old clothing that I'm clinging on to? Any old ways of living that I know what God wants me to get rid of? Let me read the list of old clothes in Colossians 3. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Am I putting on the new clothes? Am I living now in the way I know God wants me to live? Do I see any progress in the transformation to Christ-likeness? Let me read the list of new clothes in Colossians 3. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bearing with each other, forgiving one another as the Lord forgave you and putting on love. Friends, let's ask ourselves these questions and be honest with ourselves because look at the consequences for the man who was found in the wrong clothes, verse 12. He asked, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see how he's speechless? He doesn't have an excuse. He knew that he should have been changed. Then he's thrown out. He's outside the party, outside of God's presence. It's awful. I felt very convicted preparing this in the last week, and it's caused me to doubt my place in heaven. At Cornhill, the preaching course that I do part-time, we're constantly told that there's two types of people in any congregation. The people of sensitive conscience, who no, no matter what you say, will always hear that they're not good enough and, that, and will doubt their place in heaven. And then there's the people of tough conscience who, no matter what you say, will always hear how much Jesus did for them on the cross and take their place in heaven for granted. Which makes it difficult to say anything without beating up the people who don't need beating or without building up the people who do need beating. This parable is aimed at you tough people. It's meant to be tough to take. The people who are always thinking that Jesus has done enough the people who can brush off sin with knowing God has forgiven you. Please take note, it's urgent. If you are not taking off the old clothes and putting on the new, you will go to hell. But for the people of sensitive conscience who are always beating themselves up over the sin that they just can't be, just can't be rid of, have a look at verse 10. The wedding hall is filled with guests. The wedding clothes are possible for the vast majority. We will never completely beat sin in this life. God isn't looking for perfection now, but the wedding clothes are still possible for you, and you can be sure that you're in the kingdom of heaven. You can be sure that you're in the party. Then the parable ends with verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. We've seen that the invitation is now open to everyone, but God knows who's going to accept, and he knows who's not. So we've seen the invitation. We've seen just how incredible and undeserved it is. We've seen how the invitation started off just for the Jewish nation, but has now been opened up to all of us, including you and me. And we've seen how make or break the invitation is, how it's a matter of life and death, a matter of heaven and hell. So the question we began with, and the question we end with, is how will you RSVP? How will you RSVP? Will we politely decline? Will we just go quietly back to our own business? That might seem like the peaceful option, the open-minded option. 
let me just do my own thing and you do yours. But that really is no option at all. Otherwise, we'll be left out the party. Will we angrily decline? Will we hate that we have been invited? Will we hate that we're being forced to make a choice? Will we choose to say no and send God a message to say that we're not happy? Well, again, Jesus warns us that we'll be left out of the party. In fact, the king sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Will we accept the invitation, but not on God's terms? Will we try to accept the invite, but not want to live as one who didn't deserve it? Will we try and keep hold of the old things in your life that we love too much? Will it be sex that we love too much and don't want to take off? Will it be money? Will it be your anger or your pride? Will we try and keep hold of these things in one hand and grab hold of heaven in the other? Maybe you'll convince people at church that, you're a, uh, that you've accepted the invitation fully, that you're a fully-fledged member of the wedding. But the king will see through it. And he will ask, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? You won't have an answer. You'll be speechless, and you will be thrown out of the party into the darkness where there's gnash- weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or will you accept the invitation on God's terms? Will you realize how incredible the invitation is? Will you realize how little that you deserved it? Will you take off your old clothes completely and now dress yourselves with with God's grace in clothes that are appropriate for one who's been invited to such an incredible party? If you've done that, if you've accepted the invite in God's terms, if you can see yourself being transformed, clothed like Christ, then you can start looking forward to the greatest party of all time. You can start looking forward to relationship with the king in his kingdom. Let me pray as we finish. Dear God, thank you that we've been invited to your kingdom. Thank you that you loved us so much, that you sent your son so that we can join you in the great party. Please transform us into the likeness of your son. Please help us to take off our old clothes and put on the wedding clothes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.